This morning I am concluding a series of Thursday homilies on the Beatitudes. We come now to Matthew 5, beginning at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, in these moments, we ask that your spirit would open our hearts to words that may be hard, but are the words of life. We pray it in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you on my account. These are hard words. And I confess that they're very hard for a white, privileged male preacher. In my preparation for this homily, I found that the commentaries that were least useful were those that tried to turn persecution into a metaphor, and who said that anyone who is serious about being a disciple of Christ will face some type of persecution. Well, today we are keenly aware that there are Christians in some parts of the world who are facing a very literal persecution because of their faith. Their churches are being burned and bombed. Their members face systemic prejudice, if not martyrdom. Having just passed through World Communion Sunday, we pray for these members of the body of Christ around the world who are mourning in great travail today. And in our own country, there are racial groups that have experienced severe persecution throughout our history. There was the near annihilation of the Native Americans in the cause of manifest destiny. Our African Americans suffered through the horrors of slavery. Japanese Americans who endured internment. And to this day, Latinx families are being torn apart and imprisoned on our borders. These aren't just historical phenomena. There's a legacy of exclusion, biased, systemic prejudice, 
marginalization that just abounds today in our society. That's persecution. It's not a metaphor. When Jesus was presenting his credentials for ministry, he said, the Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. If that is Jesus' mission, then anyone who is poor, captive, anyone who's been blinded to the opportunities of life, anyone who is oppressed, is, in the words of Jesus, on his account. They are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because a righteous savior came to set the oppressed free. Anyone who is oppressed is is a part of the persecution of the righteousness of Christ. But what is the blessing for the persecuted? Well, according to the Beatitude, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We gain some insight into this Beatitude when we remember that the first readers of Matthew's Gospel were persecuted Christians, a persecution that lasted over 300 years. And the reason that the Christians were persecuted is because they were considered traitors, to the kingdom of Rome. Sometimes the persecutions were local, sometimes they were universal and severe. When persecution would break out in a community, it would be because the empire had sent a censor into that community who would set up an altar. And people were expected to come and burn incense on that altar to Caesar and to call Caesar Lord. And in return for that, they would receive a piece of paper called a libellus, which was essentially their citizenship papers. The Christians refused to call Caesar Lord, so they had no citizenship papers. They had no kingdom. No, Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. The irony is that in spite of all of this persecution, Christianity continued to grow and grow and grow throughout the empire. That's because the Christians were a people who were free, and freedom has always been compelling. We get a glimpse into the the secret of their freedom when we look at their baptismal liturgies, which we have. And frankly, these early church baptismal liturgies look very similar to the liturgy for a funeral. The priest would be wading in the water, and the baptismal candidate would be on the banks. As the baptismal candidate took his or her clothes off, the priest would begin to say, you're putting off the old Adam, the old vices, the old body. The candidate would come down into the water. 
And the priest would take this person, place them under the water, saying, buried with Christ in baptism, risen to new life with him as they pulled them out of the water. And then as this new member of the church went back to the banks of the river, they would put on new clothes that had never been worn before. As the priest said, you have now put on Christ and his righteousness, and you are now a part of his body. You see what they were doing? They were getting the dying over with. That's why they were unafraid. That's why they boldly continued to proclaim Jesus Christ in spite of a persecution that was intended to intimidate and frighten them. Caesar could never figure this out. You, you can't scare dead people. They've already given up everything that Caesar could take away from them, including this mortal life, because they've inherited immortal life. And they are already members of the kingdom of heaven. They've discovered a perfect love that casts out fear. They know where their true citizenship lies. Yes, they have a kingdom. It's striking that this last beatitude turns from the third person to the second person. All the other beatitudes are spoken in the third person. Blessed are they who. But this one, this last one, depicts Jesus saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted. It's as if he's turning just to those who will in fact face literal persecution. And he's saying to them, don't be afraid. You belong to my kingdom and no one can ever take that away from you. So you are free. You are free to stand tall. You are free to work for justice. You are free to sing the songs of yearning and hope because you belong. You belong to me. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. You belong to a church that should be devoted mostly to that kingdom. Maybe when Jesus turned from the third person to the second person, when he began speaking just to those who know about severe persecution, he was telling the rest of us to listen carefully to those we have oppressed because they have much to tell us about how to get into the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.